I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. On this, spring football is over in Norman. Softball, baseball still plugging away. That's a good thing for softball. Maybe not so much for baseball. Seth McGowan officially done at the University of Oklahoma. Or at least all signs indicate that direction. What's up, everybody? Sooner Nation Podcast. I'm Matt Hofett along with Rich DeCray. And clearly there's a lot to talk about as usual when we kind of go back over the last week of news and notes from the University of Oklahoma. But this is NFL Draft, and so what's going to highlight, really dominate this episode of the podcast is going to be NFL Draft and Oklahoma spring game and spring performances in terms of football. But let's start with the draft. First center off the board in this weekend's draft, Rich, is going to be... Good question. No, no, no. You got to give me an answer. I am going to give you an answer. I I really think there's two options that everyone's going to eye Mm. as the first Oklahoma Sooner off the board. And the the most difficult part about this is attempting to assess the need, but also attempting to predict any trades that are going to happen here on Thursday night as the draft gets started, any surprise moves. I know there have been some, some rumored moves that don't necessarily center around the Oklahoma Sooners, but do center around Kyle Pitts from Florida and where he'll eventually land. I'm crossing my fingers that he ends up in Miami. All I'm saying, Matt, is because of so many unknowns, I'm going to have to give you my gut instinct here. And I do think that one's Creed Humphrey. Creed Humphrey's a guy who is first-round talent. He's shown athletically that he can perform off the charts, that the measurables are there, but he's also put on display a very high football IQ. I know that Creed Humphrey has even gone on the record saying that he would play any position along the offensive line. Mm -hmm. However, most people do believe center is his future. And we've said this on numerous occasions here on this podcast is that it's just an unfortunate scenario in that Creed Humphrey plays the one position on the offensive line that isn't the most highly sought after. And because of that, we do think I felt like collectively I'm throwing you into this grouping here, Matt. We collectively said that he would fall just outside of the first round and into the second. But I do believe that he is the first sooner taken. Yes, I can't get on board with that for all the reasons that you've mentioned. This is a heavy draft for defensive backs. It's a heavy draft and in terms of needs for defensive backs as well as you know top heavy for quarterbacks and then offensive tackles and guards. Not really a deep draft for a center. And like you said, if Creed Humphrey is going to play a different position in the NFL, which I don't believe he's going to, but if he is, then you're not going to take a flyer on a guy that you're going to have to change positions in the first or the second round. I think based off of need, it's got to be Ronnie Perkins. I think Ronnie Perkins, in fact, I have no problems telling you where I think Ronnie Perkins is going to go, but you know this. And you know this is not going to be the... 
this is not going to be the homer call that everyone's going to throw at me as it as it being, but I've got Ronnie Perkins going to the Miami Dolphins in the second round with the number 50 overall pick. I don't have Creed Humphrey getting drafted in my mock draft until the third round, early third round, but I don't have him going until the third round. I got Cincinnati taking him uh, with their for, with the number 69 overall pick in the third round. Um, but that's that's not an indication of talent because I think Creed Humphrey is the best center in this draft. I just don't think anybody needs a center right now. And when you when you need defensive backs and those uh, the top heavy quarterback teams and the, there's a lot of teams that need defensive linemen, all those things I think are going to take precedent in the in the first two rounds. And that what it comes to to the the point it comes to is is Creed Humphrey is that position a position that you kind of throw your board out of whack for because you can grab him while he's there. There's lots of teams I think are in, interested in Creed Humphrey. I I think the New York Giants would love to have him. I, I, I again Miami needs a guy like that. Um, but I just I just as much as I want Creed Humphrey to be the first guy off the board because he's a he's a local kid. He's been a phenomenal story that and fun guy to cover. Um, but I just look Kansas City they could take him. Chargers, they could take him. Dolphins, they could take him. Seattle, they could take him. Cincinnati, they could take him. But when you look at the other needs that those teams have, I don't see them wasting a first, not a waste. I don't see them spending a first or second round draft pick on Creed Humphrey when there are other positions that I believe at this point are way more critical than the center. So like, I've got like skill position players well, or defense specifically when we're talking about Miami. Well, because it, it, it no, seems look, let's let's talk about Miami. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say it seems as though Miami's game plan going into this NFL draft is to surround Tua Tagovailoa with playmakers. Right. I don't. It's not to say that an offensive lineman can't be a playmaker, but it's not a similar <laughs> playmaker to what you find receiver running back, tight end, whatever that might be. Ultimately for Miami, if I'm looking at them and making an assessment, it's that they're attempting to put skill position players around Tagovailoa to boost this offense more than anything. But yes, but also Miami's got Miami has to address defense and and that's really what I was what I was I was kind of getting at is that they've got a center in in Skura the the kid out of Duke, who he's only four years in the NFL. So could Miami use a center? Absolutely, they, they could use a center. But you know what they could use before they get there? They could use a guy like Jalen Waddell. They, they, you know, they, they could absolutely use Kyle Pitts. And so that's what I'm saying. Miami's not going to address that. They could use Ronnie Perkins. That's why I think they're going to spend one of those draft picks on a defensive guy right there in the second round. Those are things that Miami could use before they get to a center. And I that I feel like breaking down this draft and looking at those needs, that's going to be the story across the board, Rich. And that's why I think, I, first of all, let me just clarify. I 100% want to be wrong on this, but I, I honestly see a very wide opening for Creed Humphrey to slide into the early third round of this draft. So that means, for me, that means Ronnie Perkins is the first guy off the board for the Sooners because I don't think he's getting out of the second round. I'm not going to disagree 
with you. I am going to disagree with you about Creed Humphrey slipping into the third. And I'm just going to go back to a, a blanket statement that I've used is I very well could flip a coin and land on Ronnie Perkins or Creed Humphrey being that first Oklahoma Sooner taken off of this draft board. I'm going solely based upon first round potential and based upon those numbers. I think Creed Humphrey has the better chance of being a first round draft pick of anyone who's worn the crimson and cream this year. It's not to say that it will yeah. happen. It's to say that the possibility exists. Well, and I'm not going to disagree with what the potential. This this guy is a first rounder. It's just a bad draft for for that position. Three seasons at the University of Oklahoma. Um, this is according to Pro Football Focus. In three seasons, Creed Humphrey took 1,297 pass blocking snaps. In those one th- almost 1,300 snaps. Only 28 quarterback pressures were allowed and zero sacks. And when you look at the guys that that he went up against, I mean, you think it, as a, as a redshirt freshman, he had to go up against Quinnen Williams from Alabama, and to give up zero sacks. That tells you about the talent that he possesses. But again, if you're the Dolphins, if you're if you're Seattle, if you're the Rams, are you going to? spend a second round draft pick on this kid when you have more pressing needs. And that's, that's just the problem that I have. I've got a total in this draft. I've got a total of five Oklahoma players getting drafted. And and I, 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 I think you can guess all of them, if not most, most of them, if not all of them, but we've talked about Ronnie Perkins. We talked about Creed Humphrey who else do you think I have getting drafted? Uh, obviously, Ramondre Stevenson. Ramondre Stevenson. I know from a previous conversation that you and I have had, Adrian Ely Adrian is Ely. on your list. Yep. And I, I'm gonna. It's a toss up. One of the trays, but I'm going with Trey Brown. And Trey Brown. I have Trey Norwood as an undrafted free agent. Here's just for, and you can tell me how crazy I am. Whether you're listening to the podcast or sitting right across from me right now uh, at the Heartland Sports Studio, but. I've got Ronnie Perkins going in the second round. I got Creed Humphrey going to Cincinnati uh, in the third round. I've got Trey Brown and Adrian Ely both going to the New York Giants in the sixth round. And Ramondre, I've got him going to Pittsburgh in the seventh round. Are you kidding me? No, I'm serious. Ramondre, Ramondre Stevenson seventh round in the seventh pick. round. Yep. Nate, you're gonna you're gonna have to defend that one because well, I, I just don't see it happening. Well, what's what's good about Ramondre is what's also what's bad about Ramondre, and that the, the bulk of his carries he had more carries in one season in junior college football than he had in two seasons at the University mm-hmm. of Oklahoma. So right. again, that's good for him because he gets to the NFL with less tread on his tires, but it's bad for him because he gets to the NFL with not a lot of film out there. There was no combine. He's a powerful guy, but he's not mm-hmm. a shifty guy. So he's But he, that that's the beauty of a Ramondre Stevenson. Now, we know he's a guy if you wanted to go look up his numbers, he ran a 4640 mm-hmm. at 230 pounds. Ramondre Stevenson isn't going to be the fastest player on the field at any given point, right? especially in the NFL. But what he has going for him is that as soon as he gets into a second level, he's immediately bigger than any defender who's going to try to stop him. And because of his momentum, he's going to present a little bit of a mismatch for, and, and I'm talking about in head-to-head collisions here, mm-hmm. he's going to present a little bit of a mismatch for some of these linebackers as well. Now, they're going to put up a good challenge, don't get me wrong but as soon as he hits that that second level as soon as he can get past some of these linebackers 
it's going to be an open field for him, and he's going to be a very tough tackle. I like what he brings to the table, Matt, and here's why I think he's a better than a seventh-round draft pick is because of all the players that we've listed, I get what you're saying, some of the unknowns that, that do surround Stevenson. The biggest question for him is going to be his ability to catch the pass out of the backfield. Right. But when it comes down to it, you've already mentioned he doesn't have a ton of mileage on him. And number two, number two for me is that he has the highest ceiling of any any player that will go in the mid-range to late range. Okay, mid to late, I can jump on. Look, at best, at best, he's a top 100 player in this draft, in my opinion. And at worst, the top 150? Yeah. I, but I think probably there's six backs. I bet I can name six backs. Let me think about this. All right, first of all, you got the, you got the obvious Najee Harris, Etienne, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Travis Etienne. Yeah, from Clemson. Um, what's the kid? The, the there's two guys from North Carolina. Uh, Williams. I can't remember the other guy's name. Javante Williams and oh, what's the other running backs out of North I don't know, Carolina? I need to Google, Google him up. Trey Sermon, I think Trey Sermon is is I'd rank him higher than Ramondre Stevenson, and then that kid, uh, the young kid, uh, that he's a, a little is dude, Michael Carter, Michael Carter from North Carolina, yes, and then um, the kid from Memphis, um, just that that burner dude from uh, from Memphis, five eleven ish, but anyway, I I, I think um, I I think that. I, I just I'm, again I'm I'm looking at this I'm looking at need I I think the kid from Virginia Kenneth Gainwell yes from okay. Memphis I think the kid from Virginia Tech uh Herbert uh, Her- 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 um no please no maybe no Felton from UCLA no I'm just saying there's here's what you're what you're getting into is that there's guys out there that have not just a better track record because they've played longer at the at the top but they've got more film. And and you're you're talking about a year where evaluations weren't what they have been in the past. You're talking about a guy who was suspended for half of a season on a team that could have been a championship caliber team. So there are questions about Ramon J. Stevenson that are not answered going into this draft. What we do know about Ramon J. Stevenson, though, Matt, with the Oklahoma Sooners after serving the suspension was an immediate game changer. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I get it. But but again, if you're an NFL exec, okay. Well, let, let me give you my assessment here okay, because we it. know you just said he's going in the seventh round in your projections. I think I think Ramondre Stevenson. Someone takes a chance on him in the fourth. Okay. And I, I and I think and I'm I think it. he's a steal in I, the fourth. I agree. I agree. I think he's a steal in the third. I mean, I, I'm high on the kid. Mm-hmm. He's going to make a but roster. Send the seventh. Man. I'm, I'm just telling you, Rich. Uh, it's all from evaluation, and it's all from scouting. It's a poor year for that. Well, here's what you're you're not gonna you're not gonna. This is, in my opinion, an NFL exec is going to want to get this kid and not have to guarantee a lot of money to him. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get that in the top four rounds. That's a lot of guaranteed money, and even in the fourth round pick. You gave him five, six, or seven. So anyway, I just here's I, I think seventh round. But here's what the NFL is going to do. Then let let's just play through this hypothetical here and say that you are indeed correct. Ramondre Stevenson goes in the seventh round. Not a lot of guaranteed money, if any. 
at that point in time, what they're going to do is they're going to put a chip on his shoulder that may not have existed. And that's not no, a bad yeah, thing, absolutely. but they're going to put a chip on his shoulder that may not have existed before. And Ramondre Stevenson can become a completely different monster mm-hmm. in the NFL than he was at the collegiate level. I, I'm, I'm not denying any of that. Mm-hmm. One more thing to look at, and we're going to move on with Ramondre and really with all these guys, you're going into a, a shortened preseason. You have shortened uh, OTAs. You're going to have a shortened mini camp and training camp. It's all going to be different this year. If, if you're needing to draft a position that you've got to put on the field in 2021, you, you want to bank on that, that person being, regardless of the position, you want to bank on them being as proven as possible. And I just, I just don't see that. As Oklahoma fans, as two guys who cover the team, yeah, we see that. But the the whoever the scout head of scouting is for the New York Giants, they've got game film, and there's more JUCO film than there is a Division One film, and then there's a suspension there, and then there's a pro day. There's no combine. I've just that's so, that's it. I I've just got to ask out of curiosity, can we not apply a very similar stamp to a guy like Trey Sermon? You know, he missed because of injury. Yeah. Sat out, really had one year at Ohio State. No, yeah, you're right, but there's more film there. And there's not the, um, there's more film, there's more versatility. Trey Sermon's a guy who can catch, proven on film. You think Ramondre can catch, you hope Ramondre can catch. You got a lot of film of Trey Sermon catching passes, right? Right. So, and then, well, since we're going down this Trey road, Sermon and, and didn't face a suspension for drug, for drug use. I, I can segue us really quickly to, to spring football because some of these concerns that you're mentioning uh-huh. about a guy like Ramondre Stevenson are concerns that exist for Kennedy Brooks too. Oh, I disagree, but we'll jump into that <laughs> spring football. Here's our thoughts coming up. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, so you brought up a good point about Kennedy Brooks and Ramondre Stevenson as far as this concern um, about passing, receiving, right? Catching the ball? Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I, here's, what I'm gonna, here's what I'm willing to concede to you as we move forward with Oklahoma spring football. By the way, I was, I was a little bit disappointed in what I saw from Kennedy Brooks in the spring game, but that's neither here nor there. We, we can get to that here in a minute. But here's what Kennedy Brooks has that Ramondre doesn't. Kennedy Brooks has lateral movement. So Ramondre is more of a straight north-south guy. 
Brooks, not a bad thing. No, no, not necessarily. Yeah, I just wanted to point it out. But what I'm just saying, by adding lateral movement to Kennedy Brooks, automatically you can do more with him than you can do with a guy like Ramondre Stevenson. And where Ramondre probably has more pass catches in his two years at the University of Oklahoma, do you know what Kennedy Brooks has that Ramondre didn't? Two 1,000 Exactly. Yes, seasons? that is it. He's rushed for over a thousand yards. Uh, Ramondre, as no, great no, no, as and that's okay. Was, as great as Ramondre was, Ramondre has just over eleven hundred, well, almost twelve hundred yards in two seasons. So two seasons for Ramondre, two seasons for Kennedy Brooks, and Kennedy's got eight hundred more yards. And you're gonna say, well, wait, I'm not you, but someone else. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ramondre was suspended. Don't forget, Ramondre missed the bowl game. Don't forget, Ramondre missed five games in 2020. Yes, exactly my point. Because Kennedy Brooks has two 1,000-yard seasons, and Kennedy Brooks didn't get suspended. That's why I'm, I don't I'm think not it equating, makes that big of a deal to me. I'm not equating the number of games. I'm not equating the number of carries. I'm not comparing the number of yards either. But what I am saying is... From the spring game, Matt, it seemed very evident that Oklahoma had settled in on a running back who they were going to utilize not just as a running back, but potentially as a receiver, maybe Mm -hmm. even using a split back set where Eric Gray lines up as a receiver. Right. A hundred percent. To me, it says that he's the better pass catcher out of the backfield. But we've been saying that for a while. Yeah, yeah. but But what I'm saying is I think that's going to absorb any film that Kennedy Brooks would put out there of him catching passes out of the backfield. It's not to say that that number is going to be zero. I'm not not saying that every single opportunity for Kennedy Brooks disappears because of the emergence or the appearance on the field of Eric Gray. But I, I do think it puts him in jeopardy of those opportunities that a good portion of those do get absorbed by a second running back. And heck at this point, Eric Gray may be the starter. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because you're kind of a latecomer to this yes, idea. Yes, I am. Because I remember the Eric Gray is just going to be a backup to Kennedy yes. Brooks that, that you made. Yes. But here's um, – Eric Gray was so much more to me in the spring game than Kennedy Brooks was, be it the touchdown, mm-hmm. be it – by the way um, – you know, combine the guys that these two guys had six carries. Okay, so that we didn't get to see a lot of them. Kennedy Brooks and, only and that's only, expected. Yeah, Kennedy Brooks only carried the ball twice. Eric Gray carried the ball four times. But again, when you when you add the passing element in there for Eric Gray, I, I guess the receiving element uh, in there for Eric Gray, he only had the one catch. But mm-hmm. you just see what they're going to do with him, and 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 again, some of it is Kennedy Brooks had a lot less to prove in this game. Than Eric Gray did. Well, I'm going to go a little bit further on that statement for you because I don't think Oklahoma is sitting here in the spring and they're trying to figure out who their number one and number two running backs are going to be. They're saying, "What do we I think have?" They know who their number one and number two. But Here's, but I I oh, think the 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 riddle they're trying to solve is what do we have behind those guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I so agree. of course we saw two walk-ons. Yeah, I mean, look, I, 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 Matt, I'm just saying, I yeah. feel like they're trying to sort out the depth and it really comes down to Marcus Major and and who's behind him. It, it, it comes down to Mikey Henderson and Marcus Major is what it comes down to. I, to me, Marcus Major kind of wasn't spectacular either on three carries, but Mikey Henderson struggled. He yeah. struggled between the tackles. And, and, and when you're looking at this, okay, Seth McGowan, we'll, we'll jump into this, but Seth McGowan is gone. 
Right. He will not be a part of this team. And so you've got to replace that. And you got Mikey Hinton. Now, again, this defensive front for Oklahoma is really, really good. But everyone else kind of went positive in the yards. There was three guys with negative yards rushing. All right. Mikey Henderson, negative three. And then the other two guys were Spencer Rattler and Mario Williams. Mario Williams fumbled the ball. That's his negative yards right there. Spencer Rattler with the sack. That's his negative yards. Mikey Henderson's the only running back with negative yards. That tells you, I think it's Marcus Major at number three, just based on what we see in the spring. But the truth is, I know you're dying to say something here. The truth is, we won't know this depth chart beyond number one and number two right. until August. When it comes to Mikey Henderson, I, I feel as though we may have placed some unrealistic expectations on him because of how spectacular he was. Granted, he wasn't the focal point of this offense. Right. And Oklahoma, specifically Lincoln Riley, was able to draw things up that utilized the focus going in one direction and Mikey Henderson going in a completely opposite. But we have to remember that Henderson, this is his first year to play running back. He didn't he he wasn't recruited to the university. He wasn't signed to a scholarship as a running back. He's making that transition for the very first time this year. So should should we be surprised by the fact that he had negative yards while he kind of sorts some things out and adapts to this new position and this new role that the coaching staff has placed upon him? Mm, I think I'm saying we should you, be surprised. You, yeah. you, I, to me, we should be surprised he had negative yards. You Someone never expect line. anyone to have negative yards let's, I mean, in a spring game, yeah, let's be honest. I mean, look, I, I, I did like – there was a couple of times, and I want to say – I want to say it was Mikey Henderson – and Marcus Major in the backfield at the same time. And I said we, we, we would see some of that with these running backs. Yeah, and, I think that's going to be a – I even label that as a potential staple right, of this offense. Right. Not not with those two names, but it could be any combination of names that are available at the running back position, most obviously Eric Gray and, and um, Kennedy Brooks. Was Caleb Williams better, worse, or on par with what you expected? Um. There's a lot of fanfare that surrounded his name. There's a lot of people who think that he is the the next greatest thing. And I think he lived up to that billing. It's it's hard to say that he overperformed expectations. I think he came on. I think he was an absolute star in this spring game and I think he showed why he was the number one number one quarterback recruit in the country. It's it's hard for me though, Matt, when I'm looking at all number one the the SI blog that he had mm-hmm. automatically drew attention to himself. People talk about the personality that he has again, automatically drawing attention to himself, and with all of that attention, it's it's kind of like the Spider-Man quote, right? With great power comes great responsibility. I feel like that's what Caleb Williams is trying to embody on the football field, and again, I think he lived up to the billing. If if I would have told you prior to the spring game, they would play four quarterbacks, only one of them would throw a touchdown. Would you peg that one to be Caleb Williams? I would not have. I would have said Spencer Rattler. Yeah. E- even in limited action, I would have said Spencer Rattler. Well, look, Spencer Rattler was 6 of 14, so he was below 50% completion percentage. And that's the most passing attempts of any, any right. quarterback. By three. Caleb Williams is right. 10 for 11, right. though. I mean, that's – that's I, I don't – I am not going to jump on here and – 
and add to the flames of, we got a quarterback competition. This is the best quarterback competition Lincoln Riley's ever had in Norman. There's no quarterback competition. No. Spencer Rattler is the starting quarterback. Mm -hmm. But here's what I can tell you, what I learned from Caleb Williams on Saturday. He's going to be on campus for three years. Yeah. You get three seasons out of him. Right. Doesn't matter if you redshirt him or not this season. He's only going to be on campus two more seasons after that. For any true freshmen that are appearing, have enrolled early and have appeared in the spring game, I think Caleb Williams would rank number one in Oklahoma Sooner history. Whoa. Performances in the spring game okay. as a true freshman. Okay. Yeah. I, now, granted, that that's a very I mean, slim number. He, well, he also led the team in rushing, 61 mm-hmm. rushing yards it's, on six attempts. It's a very slim number because not when you sign a class of 20 to 25, you don't typically expect half of those to show up early. You do expect a percentage, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but you don't expect – 25 you don't even expect 15 to show up as early enrollees it's it's usually what about eight eight to ten i think is pretty typical i don't even think it's that many honestly typical Mm -hmm. um i I did (laughs) i did find one thing someone said on twitter was was pretty funny about Caleb williams uh and his running ability they said they said he looks like a kyler murray Stacked on top of Kyler Murray, you know, talking about the difference in the size between these two guys. But think <laughs> about this. I, I I just looked up one of the plays. It was Mikey Henderson, Marcus Major, the two running backs in the backfield, and then Caleb Williams. I almost guarantee that you're going to see some plays out of Lincoln Riley, set plays like what we saw with Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield's last season. Not a lot of them, just sprinkled in here and there, two running backs and Caleb Williams. Because that's a lot of running ability there. Yeah, I I wouldn't disagree with that given what Lincoln Riley did. Even with Chandler Morris, they found a way right. to utilize the skill set. Chandler Morris, we knew was going to redshirt. We knew that Spencer Rattler was the guy heading into 2020. Chandler Morris would see four games. But the the biggest question was, would it be more than that? And even in the limited role that Chandler Morris played before departing Norman, there were specific plays that were geared, again, towards the skill set that he possessed. I think we see what you're saying. I think we see the same thing drawn up for Caleb Williams. No, 100% agree with you on that. I also think there's the potential Caleb Williams plays more than four games. That's what I'm saying. I don't don't think it matters. I I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't think it matters if he red shirts or not. I agree with you. Um, Okay. Quarterback. I I, I think we can firmly say quarterback is number one, Spencer Rattler, number two, Caleb Williams. I don't, I don't think you can get, I I don't think you can deny that. I don't don't think you can say like there's this Micah Bowens kids has a chance to be the backup quarterback. It is clearly Caleb Williams as the backup Uh quarterback. Here's my question. I wasn't prepared for this Ben Harris kid to come in ahead of Micah Bowens. I also wasn't prepared for him to be six for six. Now, he didn't really stretch the field, but he was six for six. He proved he needs to be out there. Does it even matter to you who's the number three quarterback? It doesn't unless there's an injury. Okay. Because then that becomes vitally important. Okay, there we go. Um, so let's let me go through and let me pull out another position to you and just and then and then we'll just talk in general about um about this. But pass catchers. I I didn't really see a lot that I'm I'm not gonna say I wasn't impressed with the pass catchers. 
But it really, we, we talked about, you know, Jaden Hazelwood being a guy to watch in the spring game. He had one catch for 20 yards. Very memorable. Yeah, it was a fantastic <laughs> no, catch. Everybody yeah. labeled it as the play of the I, game. I mean, it was, it, that's exactly what I was about to say. You know, but I think they, this is a position, when you talk about pass catchers, this is a position where really they wanted to see what they had beyond these top guys. You know what I'm saying? Austin Stogner made it out there, didn't really make a catch. Right. Mario Williams looked mega impressive unless you're handing the ball in the reverse and then he's going to fumble <laughs> it away. But as far as going down the field and even fighting for that ball, uh, the, the, the long, the, I think it's a 50 yard catch from Spencer Rattler that start the second half. That was a, that was a big time play because here you have a true freshman, a kid who should still be in high school right now, going up on a 50, 50 ball and fighting for it and coming down with it. Big time play there. I just, I wasn't, I wanted to see more of, of these, these, what we feel is going to be the starting unit. We didn't, but you do know there's a lot of depth there at the at, at the pass catching position. Absolutely, there's a lot of depth there. There is a little bit to the equation, Matt, that will be added later to um, the conversation. Um, but what I'm what I'm looking at with this receiving core, absolutely, there's a lot of depth there. But I think Oklahoma, with the current situation that's playing out with Trajan Bridges, is looking for someone who can stretch the field. Right. They don't need these guys who can come in and run the underneath routes. They need guys who can go vertically. And I think that's why you see a lot of the Mario Williams. I think you see a lot of those deeper passes, the 50-yard ones specifically that you're talking about. They're seeing who can stretch this this field vertically and then open things up underneath for a guy like Austin Stogner. So give me some guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're going to talk about the new transfer that I think is going to be that answer right there until Mario Williams is fully up to speed. But I did see enough from Mario Williams to think he'll be on the field this fall. We'll talk about all that in a minute. Give me some guys, one or two guys that you watched this spring game and you thought, Hmm, that's a surprise. Surprises is what we're going. Key functioning yeah. word here, okay? Yeah. Operative word, surprises. Because I've got the, one yeah, that the, really jumped out at me, and I'm, I'm curious if you've got it as well. The biggest surprise for me was Chris Murray. And I know that you weren't going to go there at That's all, were you? Not at all, where I was here's, going. here's why I say Chris Murray was such a big surprise. Heading into the spring game, there was a lot of talk about who was going to replace Creed Humphrey. And there were two names that continuously surfaced or rose up as the cream of the crop. That was Chris Murray because of his versatility, the ability to play anywhere along this offensive line. But it was also Andrew Rame, mm-hmm. a guy who was young but is extremely talented. With the first team, guess what happens? Andrew Rame trots out there. You never saw Chris Murray at the center position. Instead, you saw Ian McGiver as the backup at the center. It almost seems as if the center position has been sorted out, and it will indeed be Andrew Rame. I know that Marquise Hayes didn't play, which did shuffle that offensive line, but the fact that Chris Murray, this was the surprise, the fact that Chris Murray took zero snaps, not zero snaps, at center was a, a, a complete surprise to me. Well, Andrew Rame had been widely reported to have had a great spring ball. And we had talked about even Bill Biedenboe discussing Andrew Rame as the guy who would have started somewhere last season on this offensive line had it not been for COVID and, and those setbacks. And so I'm not surprised by that. I am surprised we didn't see more there because we thought there would be a bigger competition in that position. But I agree with you, Rich. I, I still think... 
we don't know for sure who the starting five is going to be. You know, Wanya Morris has a spot. Yeah, it looks like Andrew Rame has a spot. Uh-huh. There's three more spots that that I don't think we can count Chris Murray out on on those three spots. No, but absolutely not. But you're right. That that was that was a good surprise. That I I wasn't my number one. What what else you got? See if you see if you can nag another one. Uh-huh. Not nag, but snag. Um, in terms of surprises, this I, I don't know is a surprise. It will be a surprise if it was foreshadowing, though, and it's something that you and I have already mentioned here during this talk, and that was the the split set, the way that they were utilizing a guy like Kennedy Brooks as well as a guy like Eric Gray on the field at the same time. I had mentioned they lined up in a five-wide a five wide set, mm-hmm. and guess who one of those receivers was? It was Eric Gray. I didn't know what to expect out of him. I know that... You can say one thing, but seeing it in person, seeing it, whether you're watching it on TV or in person, seeing it come to fruition is a completely different story. And so hearing all of these reports and knowing that I was probably one of the the longest holdouts on Eric Gray, I, I have to label that as a bit of a surprise. Not a major surprise, but a bit of, a bit of a surprise, again, in the fact that I think it's foreshadowing what Oklahoma wants to do. We've talked about Lincoln Riley and his desire to find players who present a certain level of versatility, which allows this offense to give a defense different looks without swapping personnel. Why? We know how the college game works. We know that if there are no substitutions on offense, then the defense doesn't have to be given time to make those substitutions either. All of a sudden, when you have a guy like Eric Gray who can line up as that wide receiver, I don't recall Kennedy Brooks ever doing that. But when you have a guy like Eric Gray who can line up as a wide receiver and knowing that he has the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield – at a higher rate than what I'm assuming Kennedy Brooks is going to do this year. Like I said, a little bit of a surprise, but it's it's very predicated on me saying that I think Oklahoma is foreshadowing. If they're not, they're clearly putting that on film for other programs to have to defend mm-hmm. and then never use it. But I don't see that being the case. Okay, fair enough. Um, I've got three. You were wanting names, weren't you? Well, that's okay. No, I'm, I'm, you're giving me good, um, this, this conversation. I've got three names that were surprises, but I've got three things. Uh, do you have one more or are we? No, you I, give me some. All right, let me, let me give you, I'm just going to give you three names because maybe we, we both approach this from a different perspective of, yeah, of preparedness. I, but that's I okay. will tell you this. I wrote three different things, but two of them, one was Chris Murray. The other was Andrew Rain. Okay. No, that, and you have, I was about to say, you have given me names. Here, here's number one for me. Billy Bowman at oh, the nickel. Dude, I thought we were just talking offense over here. Oh, I'm, I'm just No, no, no. Three, go go for it. Go for it. I got so, some more for you then. So Billy Bowman uh, at the nickel looked like a good fit. Yeah. I, absolutely. I really, um, I really, I watched him. I was impressed with him. He didn't look out of place. He didn't look lost. So a lot of times you put freshmen out there and they look like freshmen. Didn't look like a freshman. I, I loved what I saw from Billy Bowman at the nickel. Talking about the nickel, talking about Billy Bowman, Matt, I know that you and I sat here at this same table and we speculated where Key Lawrence would fit. Right. I don't know if you had him on your list, but were you surprised to see that he wasn't working at nickel? He was working at safety and, and yeah, exclusively I, safety. I was because I, I thought he would be in the, I did in too. the conversation. I there. did too. Um, brings me to my second point on the defense. Um, well, my second point overall is on the defense is that Jordan Mukes yeah. is a freak. 
He's on my list as well. I mean, six tackles to lead this deal. Again, these these are freshmen, Rich. Mm-hmm. And they looked I, – I, I, and I told you this, um, I think even on record. There's not a lot of guys that I would go to the spring game to really want to see. You know, we, we've seen – you know – We've seen Spencer Rattler, so you get your first look at Caleb Williams. We've seen, you know, we've seen Kennedy Brooks, but now he's back. But holy cow, I went and I'm so I'm just focusing on these young guys. I'll be honest with you, I spend most of my time just watching the young guys. I would watch them on the play, and then I would look at them at the jumbotron to see the replay mm-hmm. because I would just focus. On, and Jordan Mukes, dude, is going to be a stud. He is a physical freak. He is a powerful player. As a true freshman, I'm not saying he'll be on the field full-time in the fall, but before he leaves this university, this dude will be a star based on what I saw in those two 15-minute halves of the spring game. It's funny how when you employ a specific defensive schematic and then recruit players who fit the mold of what you're trying to accomplish on the field, that it just works. We've talked so long during the recruiting process about the length, the range of a guy like Jordan Mukes and ultimately saying that that's what Alex Grinch was attempting to put on the field on the backside Mm -hmm. of the defense. Now that we're seeing that and I get that he's just a freshman. I get that he's a true freshman, which means he has a lot of growth and a lot of room to grow. But seeing the the ranginess, seeing what you're talking about, the physicality, a little bit of the speed that he does possess, and the fact that it just works in this defense gives me high hopes that this defense in the future can be better than what we've seen in year two of Alex Grinch and potentially year three, which is coming up. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Um, so let me, let me go to the offensive side of the ball for my third thing. And that was Jackson Sumlin. Did you have him on your list? I did not. Uh, this kid, he's a walk-on. You know who his dad is. He used to be a coach, for, uh, assistant coach at the University of Oklahoma. Went to Texas A&M. Got into a Twitter war with me uh, when he was at Texas A&M. Went to Arizona. Didn't work at Arizona. But his son preferred walk-on at the University of Oklahoma. Jackson Sumlin, three catches, 33 yards. Caught the touchdown pass. Not an easy catch. From Caleb Williams, I this kid's got game, and Oklahoma may have a their next walk on, you know, Drake Stoops type guy, a walk on who actually is a kid who can jump on. By the way, congratulations to Drake Stoops, no longer a walk on, but that type of kid who is a walk on but really can be a gamer as a walk on player. I I would expect Jackson Sumlin to be the next kid or the next player in that mold. I have a random thought that has popped up into my head. I'm going to run with it. Do it. It is concerning Mario Williams. One of the things that you've heard leading up to the spring game is about, we've talked about about kids with a magnetic personality. Mm-hmm. We've talked about individuals who just seem to be able to attract others to them, whether that is because of their positivity or whether they're outspoken, whatever it might be. On all accounts, Mario Williams seems to be that individual. In fact, he's drawn comparisons to Baker Mayfield in that regard. Do you think, this is not a true or false question, it's not part of my segment, um, but do you think that he has the ability, because one of the true or false questions, I think it was last week, was will Mario Williams have a similar outbreak as as a true freshman to that of Marvin Mims? And I said... 
I, it's possible, um, but the depth is the biggest concern that mm-hmm. he would have to work through. So I'm asking you, I, I, would you change your opinion on that, given that fact, given that it seems like he's built rapport with a guy like Spencer Rattler and even Caleb Williams at this point? You I, started talking about receiving yeah. and surprises, and I know the star of the game in the receiving game was that of Mario Williams. I, I think the pending loss of Trajan Bridges does open up a door for Mario Williams. Like I said, random thought. Um, but <laughs> I also think there's there's a lot of bodies there. You know, there's there's a that is not a thin position. And and I mean, but you're losing Trajan Bridges, and so you know, it, how good is Mike Woods going to be coming in from Arkansas? Does, yeah. So so you think you lose Trajan Bridges, so Mike, so Mario Williams takes a step further, you know, a step closer to being at that on the field more frequently. But then you get Mike Woods coming in. I I just I just I is the talent there for Mario Williams? Hundred percent. We saw it on Saturday. But there's that position is stacked ahead of him, and so not only does he have to be more talented than like a guy like Marvin Mims was, or say equal talent to what Marvin Mims was last year, but he's got to be equal or 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 more talent than Jaden Hazelwood. He's got to be equal or more talented than Mike Woods. He's got to be equal or more talented than Austin Stogner. He's got to be equal or more talented than Theo Weiss. I mean, there 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 has to be some doors that open up for him. And some of those doors he's going to have to open. But I will say the situation was was a lot more perfect for Marvin Mims in 2020 than I think it will be for Mario Williams in 2021. So that's how I'd answer that question. Okay. You got any more surprises for me? No, that that was, just, like I said, a complete random thought. Out of curiosity, I went ahead and, and threw that one out there for you. Okay, so we got some more talk on Oklahoma's receiving core as well as true or false coming up. And uh, this is Richard's turn to ask the questions. Hang out with us. So how good is Mike Woods going to be, Rich? That that's To me, that's the big – after seeing the spring game, seeing how some of these guys play out, especially the young guys, I, I think you look at a guy like Ethan Downs, big talent. But he's is he is on the most talent stacked position group as far as being buried in depth of any of these these young guys. I think Ethan Downs is going to be a star, but not this year. Then you look at a guy like Mario Williams. We've already talked in depth about him. You, you look at Caleb Williams. We've already talked about him. To the the question for me now. Where does Mike Woods fit into this? You know, Lincoln Riley was asked about Mike Woods, couldn't really talk about him. But Mike Woods, we talked about this on the podcast last week. Who takes that spot for Trajan Bridges? By the way, did I not call this last week on the podcast? We're going to record the podcast, and then something big, right. some big story is going to break. Yeah, I even I even messaged you. I don't know if it was. It was less than 24 hours. I don't know if it was less yeah, than 12. Yeah, because we recorded on Thursday. That broke on Friday. Uh-huh. But the point is, Mike Woods now, you you have to think. It's a crazy story, by the way. But you have to think he's that he's it. That's the guy that comes in and replaces Trajan Bridges. I don't know. I, I just Have you seen the film? Have you watched him play? I, I have. He's talented. And I, my, my question now is, do you take this kid – if he can't beat out Mario Williams, 
as one of those deep threats, why in the world did he transfer to the University of Oklahoma? Right. There are some guys. There are some <laughs> guys that transfer in, and you know this guy's transferring in to be a starter. This guy's transferring in to play. This guy's transferring in to better his NFL projection. And you look at guys like Jalen Hurts. You look at guys like Wanya Morris. You look at guys like J- uh, Eric Gray. And you think, yeah, you know why they transferred. They come here expecting to play. And then you got guys like R.J. Proctor, Chris Murray. You know, I don't know why I'm just going with all offensive linemen, but uh, Congle out of out of Arizona. And you think, man, why did they transfer here? You know, do they think they can play? Do they hope they can play? I Mike Woods doesn't fall into that second category for me. When I watch the film of this guy, when I see how important, what an integral part he was of that Arkansas offense, it doesn't make sense that he transfers to the University of Oklahoma on the hopes that he can beat out a true freshman. I think this guy plays. I think he stretches the field. And I think he becomes what Oklahoma had wanted Trajan Bridges to become. But I'm sorry. But I do think, I do think this clearly marks the end of Trajan Bridges. We were talking about yes. last week. We don't know for sure if Trajan Bridges is gone or not. I think when you accept Mike Woods in, then you're saying goodbye to Trajan Bridges. No, I would concur with that statement. The one thing that is easy to overlook when it came to Arkansas, Arkansas was expected to head into 2021 with possibly the best receiving crew in the country. Right. That would have been headlined if I butcher this name, my apologies, but Traylon Burks would have been the headliner of that crew. And when you look at Burks and you look at Woods, they were two players who complemented each other perfectly. People were so worried about what Burks was doing that all of a sudden Woods would be open behind the defense and you could sling the ball and let him run underneath it. Oklahoma has a very similar level of talent. Some of it's unproven talent, but Oklahoma has a very similar level of talent. Will they live up to the hype? Will they live up to that billing is the one thing that we have yet to see. But when you look at Woods, what he brings to the table, Matt, is something that fills a a need and a void that Oklahoma currently has and what exists on their roster. No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I see why Woods comes, but I see... I see the dilemma that you're throwing out there as well. To me, it's a good predicament to be in for Oklahoma. It's not a dilemma. (laughs) It's not a good predicament for Woods. I don't think it's a good predicament for Mario Williams because this is a kid who just showed out in the spring game. Right. Well, here's what I'm asking you then in in return. I'm I don't mean to cut you off here, but I I clearly have. That's good. When it comes to Woods, are you seeing Woods as that slot receiver then? I don't think there. I don't think he. I think he could be inside or outside, Rich. I, that's why I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking this is a kid that could really do anything that Trajan Bridges could have done. And he's a more. I mean, he's six one. He's two or three. He's got speed. He averaged nineteen point three yards per reception in twenty twenty. What he, what can he not do in a better offense? Uh-huh. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't think it. I don't think I would put him inside or outside. I think it just depends on what Lincoln Rod is going to do. Is say, hey, Mike Woods, you're going to match up really well with that uh-huh. guy. So based on where he is, we're going right. to line you up. Mike Mike Woods, just in case you were cu- curious, 556 yards 
when lined up on the outside, 136 yards when lined up in the slot. Yards per carry. Or yards per catch, though. Do you know that? No, I don't. I'm just curious on, on those two. But I just – that's all about mismatches. And I think I think it's more advantageous for him at the University of Oklahoma to find a mismatch than anything he would have in Arkansas. And that's not because of the SEC defense. That's because of the guys who's in that receiver room with him. Because think about this, okay? So you're 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 Jim Knowles. You're the Oklahoma State defensive coordinator. You got an undefeated Oklahoma team coming to Stillwater for Bedlam, and you're looking at how you're going to defend this pass. On one side, you got Marvin Mims going deep. On the other side, you got Mike Woods going deep. Underneath, you've got Jaden Hazelwood and Austin Stogner. What do you do? Who gets that ISO coverage? That's where Mike Woods is going to be dangerous. Hey, I, I misspoke. Um, that was the number of plays. That's where he lined up at gotcha. with Arkansas, and that was his sophomore year, by the way. So I just wanted to clarify, 556 snaps outside, 130, 35 inside, 2019 as a sophomore, not okay. 2020 as a junior. Well, anyway, my point my point remains the same on this kid. I, I, I'm not saying we won't see Mario Williams. I think he's too talented to keep off the field. I think we see less of Mario Williams, barring injury, because Mike Woods is going to be that guy that 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 you you wanted Trajan Bridges to be. That yeah. that's that's the point I'm making. And that's a very good assessment. I think we can all jump on board with Oklahoma looking, and I said this just previously when we were talking about the spring game, looking for an option that can stretch the field. If one falls into your lap, it's hard not to utilize the skill set of that individual. Okay, speaking of Trajan Bridges, he is still technically with the University of Oklahoma. To this point, no charges have been filed against either Trajan Bridges or Seth McGowan. But Seth McGowan does enter his name into the transfer portal, which to me, reading between the lines, that means that Lincoln Riley has had a conversation with Seth McGowan and said, look, man, I hope this works out well for you. I hope these charges don't get pressed against you. But the best thing for you is to find a new home. I think that conversation has happened with Seth McGowan. The question is, has it or will it happen with Trajan Bridges? I mean, if, if there's no charges, because every uh, no, uh, the further we go from this with no charges being pressed, the more likelihood it is there will not be charges pressed. I'm going to go back to something you said last week, Matt, and there's a repeated offense mm -hmm. that has happened, whether it is legal by law or it isn't by law. There are bylaws that you have to abide by as a student athlete when right. you sign a letter of intent with university and play under the banner of the NCAA. And for those purposes alone, it's a very, very tricky situation that Lincoln Riley finds himself in. It's one I am not envious of yeah. whatsoever because I know that there will be backlash if Lincoln Riley dismisses Trajan Bridges. And I know that there will be players who players, there will be individuals who advocate for a, a second chance. If no legal proceedings are filed. Yeah, you're right. It's not an envious position, but I, to me, I'm still sticking to my guns that I just don't see how you're bringing back. Yep. I, I, I just, look, if, if a guy based on what we've heard, the allegations against Seth McGowan. If that dude can jump in the transfer portal and jump out somewhere else, so can Trajan Bridges. I'm just wondering 
you know, McGowan got the message. Has Trajan Bridges got the message yet? Or will he get the message? We'll just have to wait and see on that. Uh, we got true or false coming up. Um, we got to talk a little bit about softball and and how losing Seth McGowan officially affects recruiting. Some thoughts on that. Um, this is a Sooner Nation podcast. Well, Matt, it's once again time to put you in the hot seat. I do need to give you a disclaimer here because through some of the conversation that we've had, we've answered a multitude of my true or false Boo. questions, which means, Matt, that um, you get off easy this week. I'm not going to give you all five. Uh, again, we were I was going to center on Creed Humphrey playing a different position in the NFL or not. We were going to talk about Chris Murray and Andrew Rame if it was a sewn and shut case as to the center position, as well as the last thing being being Ramondre Stevenson, if he was a better prospect in the NFL <laughs> than a guy like Trey Sermon. But again, we've already answered those at the beginning in the opening segment. But we didn't agree on that one. We, we didn't agree. Right. Okay. You're right. But we asked it. In a roundabout way. So again, Matt, I've only got two for you. I'm going to jump right in. The first one is going to center around football, and then the second one is is going to be a basketball question for you. Okay. Oh, gosh, so okay. the 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 first true or false question, I need to know up front. Are you familiar with what Alex Grinch is calling the R factor? Have you heard this? Have you heard him make statements about it? Man, am I going to seem foolish if I don't know no, what it's, you're talking it's about? A, okay, he did an interview. I'll just tell you so you don't have okay. to answer. And that way, if you already know. Amazing. If I'll you don't know, full, you'll be full informed. Disclosure, I don't know. The the R factor is all about responsiveness. Okay. Alex Grinch is asking the question or trying to establish the mindset of how will you respond when something bad happens or, or how will you respond after something good happens for you on the field? Say the defense gets a turnover. How do you respond on the next play? Do you take it off? Or do you continue to press hard and hope to get that second second turnover? Vice versa. If a big play, an opponent rattles off a big play, doesn't matter if that's rushing, doesn't matter if that's throwing, how do you respond? Is it just like we're they're so close to the end zone, we're just going to let them in? Or again, do you pick yourself up by the bootstraps and go back to work? So he's using this R factor in an attempt to establish a, a different mentality, a different mindset, and ultimately change the culture. Because we talked about a, a need for a culture change on the defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. Alex Grinch entering his third year, true or false, is on to something with the R factor, and it will lead to the biggest gains for the Oklahoma defense in 2021. Okay, so I... <laughs> I don't know that I'm fully on board with what you're asking me, but I you am, mean understanding. Yeah, I am going to say true that I think, I think, I think Oklahoma's defense takes the biggest step. Here, here, let's let me. Can I take a step back real quick? Sure. And just ask in a different way. All right. So entering his third year, true or false? Alex Grinch has implemented a new system, a new culture on this defense. Or with this defense, a new system or a new culture? New, a new culture. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I was gonna yeah, say no, mental system. I, I don't know that he's implemented it right now. I think we're seeing the evolution of it over the three years, and they are as close to it as they've been. I do think that this will be the best version of the Speed D that we've seen. I'm, don't forget, this defense took Lincoln Riley to task for much of that spring game, and. It's not because Lincoln Riley doesn't have any tools or assets at his disposal. Yeah, one of the most uh, explosive offenses and, and in the so country. I do feel like, yes, 
the answer I'm going to say is true because I do think the culture has changed. It is evolving. And if this is the last year under Alex Grinch, when he leaves, whoever replaces him, <clears throat> Brian Odom, <clears throat> excuse me, um, whoever replaces <laughs> him has a lot more to work with than what Alex Grinch had when he arrived on campus. And you got to give Alex Grinch all the credit in the world for that. So, yes, I, I'm excited. How long has it been since you've been really excited to see an Oklahoma defense take the field? Over over 12 years. Yeah, and for me, it's 2009. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've turned, we fumbled? Okay, well, I get to see Ronnell Lewis. You know, you know, you know right. saying? It's been a while since that's happened. That should be on the forefront of fans' minds as they go into this fall because let me tell you something. This defensive line, they are going to eat these defensive backs will be the best set of defensive backs that you've seen in this program in 10 years across the board. This will be a great defense compared to where it was when Mike Stoops left right after all you got beat by Texas in the Cotton Bowl. All that said, I still don't think they've arrived. I still think there's more to go. How much further they make is going to depend on two factors. Number one, how much they progress throughout the season. And number two, what is Alex Grinch's future? Arizona's already come calling. That means more people are going to do so this coming year. How long does this guy, is he a Brent Venables? Who's A-OK just being the co-head coach, you know, as an assistant and making millions of dollars? Or does he need to be at the forefront of a program that's that's where that's where the future of this defense lies is in that decision right there second one and last one <laughs> is this you remember when we were speculating what was going to happen with kirk Weth, right kirk Weth said that he was going to explore the option of going pro even if that meant going pro overseas mm-hmm. so true or false you were surprised to see him transfer to marquette no that's that's false i wasn't see i wasn't surprised it, you, you, it's same thing with divian Harmon. you you know everybody who plays collegiate basketball at the high level they want to go pro they do i mean it's just it doesn't matter where you play you want to go pro and you know that hey my time's up here at this university i'm done so I'm going to explore that option to go pro before I explore the option to transfer. Right. Devian Harmon did it. Ah, okay, I'm going to go back to college for one more year. You knew. It. I mean, you Devian Harmon was a lot closer than Kirk Weth was at making it in the NBA. But, I mean, it all goes, again, back to the foundation that Lon Kruger built and then what Porter Moser is trying to build on top of that foundation. and is Kirk Weth going to come back and start over anybody that's transferred in right now? I don't think so. So yeah, I'm not surprised at all to see him end up at Marquette. I think it's actually, I think it's a good fit for him. And you know, we know what Shaka Smart has done with players in the past that are uber athletic. And I think he'll get more playing time there. And I think he'll be a better star caliber type guy. I mean, that dude is a shot blocker, like nobody's business. You get him up on an alley-oop. I mean, he's athletic around the rim, but he doesn't have a mid-range jumper. So he fits a lot better at a program like Marquette than what he would at the University of Oklahoma, especially with the Groves kids coming in. 
He didn't have to go quite that far if he really wanted to be with Shaka Smart. I mean, he could have went to Texas at some point in time. Yeah, well, you know. Hey, just throwing it out there, being facetious. Okay, so let's let's talk about recruiting and then softball, and then we're finished here. You're worried. I know you've been worried about the running back position. Tell me now that Seth McGowan is gone. Give me your thoughts on this 2022 class and what they need to do running back-wise. I'm not worried about You're it worried from the standpoint of, to it, of what Oklahoma will put on the field in 2021. What I am worried about, though, Matt, is the fact that Oklahoma now for two recruiting cycles got zero running backs. And you're not alone in that, my friend. There's a lot of people out there worried. But mm-hmm. I, I will tell you, they did get a run, running back in 2021 that people just aren't talking about. Mikey Henderson. But he wasn't recruited as a running back. We just talked about that. <laughs> You've already forgotten. All I'm saying is it's two recruiting cycles. This is based upon need that Oklahoma's doing the position shuffle with a guy right. like Mikey Henderson. Right. And it's because he presents a skill set that can be utilized as an H back or a running back mm-hmm. in this Oklahoma offense. Without Oklahoma was expected to get four. Let me let me state that first. Oklahoma was expected to get four running backs over that two year stint. Instead, they they end up with a zero and they are going after high profile guys, which I'm not going to fault them for. But that's where most of the competition comes in at, because these are the guys who hold the most offers from across the country. It's part of the reason why they are five star recruits. When you don't land those guys, you need a a fallback plan. You need bodies on a roster. Mm -hmm. And for the future, Oklahoma is looking very thin at the position. I do think it means that they will have to dip into the transfer portal. We know that this is becoming a thing, and it's something that will be utilized across the country regardless of how well thought of your program is, regardless of how your program is structured. The transfer portal is open to anyone. It is open to all, and it is open to the coaches to go in, evaluate, and snag a guy who they may have initially dreamt of signing, Mm -hmm. but it just didn't work out coming out of the high school or, again, through the JUCO ranks. Oklahoma will have to dip into the transfer portal, whether that's JUCO or whether that's a a former four-star, three-star recruit. doesn't matter who it is in order to fill out this roster, and that's where my concern comes in. It's not depth for 2021. It's depth for 2022. Yeah, and I don't know that they have to dip into the transfer portal. Because of the walk-ons? Well, I mean, well... Let's say Eric Gray's gone. Let's say Kennedy Brooks is gone. I don't think Marcus Major is gone after this no. season. Um, you know, I just, I just. So you have one scholarship no, got running Mikey back. Anderson there. I just, I just, I don't know that it's a. It. I, am I saying that they're not going to dip into the transfer portal? No, I'm not saying that at mm-hmm. all. But it's going to have to be the right situation. But it's a given that it will happen. I don't. I don't disagree it's with you. It's a given that they will. You're saying that I they will. I think it's a given that they will dip into the transfer portal. They're I not going to sign four running backs. In I don't one think class. That they need four. That's what I'm saying. You're 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 saying they need four. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I think they're going to get two in 2022. They've already got Rayleigh Brown committed, and they the Gavin Salchuk kid out of out of Colorado. I'm pretty confident at this point to say he's coming to the University of Oklahoma. Here, here's what's good. Alabama, this is good news for Oklahoma. Alabama has been loading up on running backs. No one knows us better than an Oklahoma fan who follows recruiting. Alabama's already got their kid committed for 2022. That Emmanuel Henderson, he's a homegrown kid. 
five-star running back. He's the number one running back in the country. He is committed to Alabama. So you don't got to worry about Alabama right now. So that means the, the kid like Saul Chuck, who, by the way, is the number two running back in the nation. Um, I think he's – I really think Oklahoma's – if they're not leaning on him as far as, as him being – like them being number one on his list, they're really close to him being number one or them being number one on his list. Like I said, Rayleigh Brown's already committed. I think there's two in this class. You've got Mikey Henderson. Regardless of what you say, how he was recruited or wasn't recruited, Mikey Henderson is now in the running back room. So you're saying they're minus four. I'm telling you, Mikey Henderson makes them minus three. You've got two in this class. That makes them minus one. I don't think you panic over minus one. They went into this last season minus one, Mm -hmm. and there was no panic. So all I'm saying is I don't discredit what you're saying. I'm not saying you're you're bad crap crazy for thinking this. What I am saying is I don't feel like it's a panic situation. The only comment that I'm going to make in response to you is I do know ideally Oklahoma would like to have five or six scholarship, not just bodies, scholarship right. running backs on this roster. They're, this offense, what they're going to produce here, like I said, the ceiling that I believe Ramondre Stevenson has will place him in the fourth, fourth round, you think the seventh round, but these future draft picks that are coming up as well are going to can you continue to put Oklahoma on the map. They will be on the radar for kids across the country. They'll fill, fill those roster spots. I agree with you. It's not a desperation move. You don't go out and just get anyone who is available, but I still think because of the way that or the nature of the hits that a running back takes, you still want to have a plethora of of them on the roster. Oklahoma doesn't have that for 2022. Can they address it in this recruiting cycle? Yes, Matt. I'm not, I'm not saying that they can't. Okay. So let me, let me ask you, let me approach it from this way. Then Oklahoma, this coming into this coming this fall, they're seven deep at the running back position. They got seven guys in that room. But how many of them have a scholarship with their name? Okay, it doesn't I'm just saying, okay, let's 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 take away the scholarship. Man, I'm going to read mad. You, no, <laughs> I, I'm going to read you a name. Actually, there's six deep because Seth McGowan's gone. But I'm going to read you a name and you tell me whether this guy you think can play or not. All right? Okay. Eric Gray. Yes. Mikey Henderson. Yes. Todd Hudson in limited roles. Mark Todd okay. Hudson? No. Uh-huh. Wait, you said Eric Gray and Limited Rose or Mikey no, Henderson? No, Eric Gray, Mikey Henderson, and Limited. After okay. what we saw in the spring, okay. all right. Okay. I just don't know that he's ready for the prime just, time. Just asking. All right. Uh, Marcus Major. Yes. Jaden Knowles. I'm going to say no for now. And it, Did you see him at the spring game? I did, and I saw that Hudson was out there as well. I'm still attaching a no to their okay. name. And then Kennedy Brooks. Yes. So you you're gonna you're gonna are you worried this fall? As I'm just asking, are you worried about the running back? No, backs no, no. And I'm I've just, been no, very just, clear just, about just that. Yes no. 2021, no okay. concerns. So then 2022, mm-hmm. you're gonna remove most likely Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray, and then you're gonna add two more. And you're gonna be six deep when one of them is gonna be the number two running back in the country, and one of them is gonna be the number one all-purpose back in the country. I'm, Whoa. I'm just saying. You want me to celebrate right no, now? No, <laughs> I'm just saying there's no need to panic this far out. That's all I'm saying. There's no, you're and right. I feel like and, saying And that's that, what I'm saying. There's no need to panic. But the way that this recruiting has gone for Oklahoma at the position, 
Matt, there's no guarantee. You're jaded, man. There's You're no just guarantees. Jaded. No, I, I think they're pretty solid on, on. Let me give you a name, Jace McClellan. Okay, and I'll raise you a Samar Wheaton. But I just said Alabama has their guy. Alabama's not taking a <laughs> crap total, a crap load of running backs. <laughs> they're already stacked, and they've got the number one homegrown kid. That's not going to be an issue this year. That's all I'm. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, okay, softball. We got to wrap this up. Softball. Sooners, after losing one game to Georgia, they have reeled out one, two, three, four, five, six. Is that right? One, two, three, four, five, six wins in a row. Four of those six are by shutouts, and four of those six are also run rule wins. Big, big week this week for Oklahoma softball as they wrap up the regular season. Tuesday night, they're in Wichita, Kansas to play top 25 team in Wichita State. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they're in Stillwater to play the second best team in the Big 12 in Oklahoma State. And that sets them up for the Big 12 tournament May 14th for the through the 15th uh, in Oklahoma City. I, I, oh, now, still number one. And I, I had said last week it depends on on what UCLA does at Washington. They lost the opener of that series, even though they end up coming back and win the series. Still, you trade a loss for a loss. I, I can say Oklahoma in no particular order, Oklahoma and UCLA, two best teams in the country. At this point, I'm willing to say it'll be a disappointment if it's not an Oklahoma-UCLA final in Oklahoma City for the World Series. I don't know that I, I would go as far as labeling it a disappointment. And a large reason for my – my statement is I do think there are other conferences that have a lot of very capable teams specifically looking towards the sec at the moment. And I think if an sec team gets in there, people will be equally as pleased. I do agree with you though, Matt, the odds on favorites to make the the world series, the, the college world series, the women's college world series, just in case you needed me to say that backwards for each letter is UCLA and Oklahoma, but it wouldn't be a, a complete catastrophe or disaster knowing how well SEC fans travel. Uh, SEC gets on my nerves. Um, baseball. SEC. SEC. <laughs> baseball <laughs> loses two out of three to Georgia Southern. Get, series played in Norman last weekend. Bedlam coming up on Friday. Uh, first game's in Stillwater. Game two and game three of that series is in Norman. Can Oklahoma just win one of the three? You hope so. I'm, no, I'm asking. Do you think they can? I, is, I don't know, Matt. Have you I seen anything from Oklahoma baseball recently to make you think they can beat Oklahoma State in just one game? No, and I, I don't believe that to be the case. I do believe Oklahoma State to be the superior team. We talked about the pitching being the major concern for Oklahoma. And if you don't have a stout defense and you're not putting up a ton of runs, it just isn't going to work out for you. I know you hate the SEC and you love when I talk about them, but it's kind of the way that their football programs have started going. You used to be able to win by scoring 24 or 21 points. That's not the case anymore. You can have a great defense, but if you're not putting up 30, 35 points each game, you're incapable of winning. And that's what I see with this Oklahoma baseball team is they're not going to stop people. So they have to put up a lot, a lot of runs and they just don't have the hitters to do that. 
Okay. I, I can't add anything to it. Um, here we go. That's going to wrap it up for the Sooner Nation podcast. You can find us on the interwebs every day, heartland-sports.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Let us know where you agree or disagree uh, with what we say, what we think. We'd love to hear back from you. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the draft. Enjoy Bedlam baseball the best you can. Boomer Sooner, everybody.